Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Antonio Neves, and I am so excited for you to listen to this brand new episode of The Best Thing. In this episode, I have an amazing conversation with Bassam Tarazi. It is going to blow you away. I want to give you a heads up that now and then the audio may get a little bit funky. You may or may not notice it, but if you do, don't let funky get in the way of you having a good time. I promise you that this conversation is powerful. You are going to love it. So without hesitation, let's get to it. Welcome to the Best Thing Podcast, where we talk to thought leaders, creatives, authors, and entrepreneurs about how sometimes the best thing to happen to you is the most unexpected. Welcome your host, Antonio Neves. Welcome to the Best Thing Podcast, where we talk about the best thing to ever happen to people that doesn't include the traditional markers of success. That's because sometimes the things that have a major influence on someone's life will never show up on a resume, come up in a conversation, or show up on the internet. I'm your host, Antonio Neves, and each week I bring on a new guest who has a powerful story to tell that will motivate, inspire, and help you see life through a new lens. This week's guest is my dear friend, Bassam Tarazi. Bassam is an explorer, strategist, and author. Now, as an author, he has written three books, including Borders, Bandits, and Baby Wipes, A Big Adventure in a Tiny Car, which debuted as a number one new release on Amazon. As an explorer, he has traveled to all seven continents and 73 countries. Get this, some of his adventures include climbing to Everest Base Camp and and making it to the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro. This guy lived on an Alaskan glacier for eight days. He's also spent some quality time in the jungles of Borneo. Now, as a good person, he also created the networking event Magnet, which has connected thousands of people nationwide. Appropriately, his name Basam means the smiling one. Basam, welcome to the best thing. Wow. Is that me? That's all me? That's all you. So obviously, when I read your bio, obviously you're an underachiever. <laughs> you know, when you hear your own bio, it, it I don't want to say it surprises you. That sounds a little ridiculous. But I think sometimes we so often just look forward and what's next and we stop to, you know, we forget to sometimes say, wow, I, I don't want to say done some things, but I've engaged with the world, I think is how I'd put that. You're like, wow, I did that. But, but I have to ask you, with an amazing bio like that, you know, when you meet brand new people, do you feel like you have like a lot to live up to? I mean, most people haven't visited Cleveland, let alone Borneo. Yeah, you know, I guess it depends on if they read a bio like that before. So if they read that bio and then they meet me, then I think I, I have a high bar to live up to. But if they, don't, if they don't know anything about me, maybe they get little bits of that. So they get to know the kind of down-to-earth me uh, first. Uh, and I can maybe I can maybe trickle in some stories. I can just imagine you. You go out with somebody and there's a breaking conversation. You can always pull out. You know, um, that one time when I was on that Alaskan glacier, you could just pull out all these amazing things that most people cannot. I think I think I've learned in life. I think having been very fortunate and lucky to travel, I think it's uh, it's very easy to find a way to relate to somebody. Because someone will say, oh, I was in so-and-so or I visited such-and-such or my brother lives XYZ. And you can always jump in and go, well, I've been there. 
And so sometimes you have to bite your tongue because you can feel the pretentiousness in the weight and in maybe how you're thinking you're going to be perceived. And yet a lot of times it's just, hey, I think this is this is a fun way to connect. So sometimes got to balance that. Yeah, these days I don't bite my tongue. Life's too short. Why not be pretentious? Why not be <laughs> Why pretentious? Not be pretentious? <laughs> it's not my fault you haven't lived an interesting life person sitting across from me. Hey, so I've known you for many years now. We've, we've spent time in New York City. We've spent time in different cities, different countries across the globe doing work together and just hanging out. So I'm going to ask this question to you. Now, I may know the answer to it in advance because of our, our friendship, but maybe I'll be surprised and I'm excited to see where this conversation goes. So here's the question. Basam, what is the best thing to ever happen to you that is not a traditional marker of success. When I say traditional marker of success, listeners, I'm talking about getting married, you know, graduating from college, um, buying a house, all these things that are the traditional, the societal markers of success that people know about. But what's one of the, the quote unquote best things that has happened to you that many people don't know or that has played a, uh, a major influence in your life? You know, it's a question that I think anybody listening could stop and ponder, well, would it be this? Would it be that? Well, there was this moment, but then there was this moment. Uh, but the one that, that pops up to me was a conversation that happened and it was about 30 seconds long and it kind of was one of those billiard ball moments that kind of hits you, you know, you're, you're going straight and then all of a sudden this one little moment uh, – turns you. And it was the most imperceptible uh, moment. I wasn't expecting it at the time. It didn't feel like there was a, a big moment coming, but uh, I'll paint the picture. It was 2007. I was living in Huntington Beach, California, and the, the financial crisis had just hit. Working in the mortgage banking industry, thinking that I was just about to make a lot of money, and all of a sudden I had no job. And uh, there I was, 27. I had some cool stories. I had traveled. I have a degree in engineering. I figured I'd be hireable. But because of the state of the economy, I was struggling. And so it was starting to cast a wide net. I was maybe going to do medical device sales. Um, that didn't pan out. And then I got an interview with UBS to be a financial planner. Um, didn't know if I wanted to do it. Thought I was qualified enough. Went through the whole interview process. All kinds of tests, all kinds of this and that. And I knew I could do it. And I thought, well, since I could do it, maybe I should do it. And I got all the way down to the final interview. And I forget the gentleman's name now. I have it written down somewhere because it was that important. But we were in this final interview and he kind of, I went through it and he kind of smiled at the end. And he said, you know, Bassam, you're maybe one of the most qualified people that we've ever seen come through here. But I just don't think you want to do this. And, mm. it was, and it was almost, to be honest, Antonio... It was like the sentence I needed to hear because I didn't, I didn't want to do it. I, I was there because I thought I had to. I thought I didn't have another choice. Um, and hearing this man kind of say and smile and say, it's okay. Like, we would love having you here, but I just don't think you want to be here and that's okay. And I just sat there and I wanted to fight him. No, no, I, absolutely. I want to be here. And I kind of went up to say that. Like my chest filled up with air. I was about to exhale. And then I just slouched and I said, you're right. I don't. And he was like, and that's okay. And then we said goodbye and I walked out. And shortly thereafter, I had a conversation with a friend that led me towards uh, moving to New York uh, for a 10-year stint and working for a company, starting my own company and kind of really, I think, establishing myself um, as who I was as an adult, all because wow. this guy said, I don't think you want to do this. 
let's dig into that right there. And there's so many different directions I want to go from there. And I think sometimes in life, we don't realize that there are some heroes, some (laughs) unsung heroes that show up that in the moment we want to curse them out. We want to yell at them. We want to say, why, why, why are you doing this to me? But later, of course, with perspective, we see them as an unsung hero. So I see this guy, not, not even unsung. You know that he is a hero in your life. And sometimes it takes time for us to acknowledge that. The question I have is when he says, I don't think you want to do this. It sounds like in some shape or form, Basam, he granted you some type of permission. What permission was granted in that moment for you? You're 100% right. I I think it was the permission to live your own narrative, to trust in your gut. um, And that even though I was unemployed and even though I was kind of scratching and clawing, that even in those moments, you didn't have to accept this job. You You can figure it out. You can wait, you can bide your time, you can find something that connects with you more. And so it was permission to, as you say, to bet on me or to just listen to what was happening inside my body and probably my body language because he obviously read it, right? I mean, I passed all the tests and flying colors, this, that, whatever. And he says, but he could see it. He can see it in the way I was talking and probably hedging myself. Um, so he just gave me permission to be me. You're, you're a unique being. I think how you, you see things, you see things very differently than other people that I know see them. And of course, you're in the midst of one of the worst financial crises ever that, that our country and the, and the world has experienced. What did that moment, knowing that you lost a job due to the economy, things outside of your control, what did that teach you about things being outside of your control and still being able to roll with life as it comes? When, when you don't have control over the economy, you don't have control with, if a company is sued and they go out of business, X, Y, and Z. How do you approach things out of your control? Well, it taught me that the only things I can control is how I react to the things out of my control. Um, I believe it was Viktor Frankl in Man's Search for Meaning, and he had a statement, something like this. I'm going to butcher it a little bit, but he said, the time in between stimulus and response is the power to be you. That's when you become you. How are you going to respond to this bit of stimulus? You could cry, you could yell, you can complain, you can do whatever it is, but your then reaction is how the world is going to perceive you and how you're going to perceive yourself in that world. So controlling what you, you can control and, and, and those are reactions. There's, you know, just taught me to breathe, process, realize I have my two legs, I have my two arms, I have my brain, I'm, I'm going to be okay. And let's just start there. Let's be real. In that moment, 27 years old, prime young age, did you have that, that perspective of control what you can control or was there a lot of fear and, yo, what is going to happen? Uh, certainly, I was kicking rocks. I was feeling real bad for myself. Um, no one had it as bad as me. Nobody gets it, right? That whole thing. And I can't remember. I think it, I think it was a combination of the four-hour work week, Tim Ferriss, and the art of nonconformity, Chris Gillibo is kind of around that time. And there was a moment that I just kind of stopped. I remember I, was, I remember I was in my bed in Huntington Beach reading, and I kind of put the books down and said, I am accountable for my own happiness, right? And I was externalizing it. Why did it happen to me? How I'm so unlucky. Now I'm in debt and I'm 27. Poor me, poor me, poor me. But the first thing is, is that attitude, that belief that you deserve you know, to be happy, uh, and that you are accountable for that. And so that was the kind of sentence that kind of, I don't know, if you want to call it a, a, a springboard. And it just got me out of my funk because I realized that that was a dangerous kind of slippery slope I was in. And if you keep letting it go, you know, 
depression and uh, and who knows what what follows that. So many different things can follow that. And of course, you mentioned something extreme like depression. And of course, you know, that whole happiness thing, uh, many human beings, you know, myself included many times have said, oh, you didn't believe that I deserve to be happy. And the whole notion of I deserve to be happy, it, it just sometimes it's like hitting your head against a, a brick wall. But you know, when I think about you and your journey, it could have went a total different way if that guy at UBS decided to hire you. If that person, I'm just imagining you right now as a medical device salesman. And the irony and the funny thing for me as I think about that is odds are, Basam, you would have been great at it. Because you're that kind of dude that can dig in and do so many different things. Well, you have been great at UBS. You would have been great as a medical device salesman, even if you hated it, by the way. But I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about this notion I bring up on, on stages a lot. And when I bring this up, man, people's, their face, they're just like, whoa, dude, why did you have to go there? And what I say is just because you're good at something doesn't mean that you're supposed to be doing it. Yeah. And that's, and that's a heavy one, right? Because I think we all, we all battle that in life because I think it's a, um, I don't know, is it part of the, the three pillars in the sense like we like being competent at something. We like getting respect for something and that part feels good, but we have to balance that with, do we feel autonomous enough? Do we feel like we have a say in our life? Do we feel like we're around our own tribe? Do we feel like, you know, we're, we're respected by, by certain people. So I think, Yes, while we certainly want to be good at the things we do, it can't be the only thing that ends up driving us. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I do look back at that and said, okay, what, what if I did become a financial planner or a medical device salesman? I still, I can hear my father's uh, advice to me. And he, he would say, anytime I had a choice, ah, oh, should I do this? Should I do that? And he'd ask me, well, can you defend this argument of doing X and doing Y? And I'd, I'd kind of give them both. And he's like, I don't know, just choose. And I said, well, dad, which one? He's like, you make every decision the right decision because you you made the best decision you could at the time. Even if you crash and burn, even if you crash and burn and it fails, what he would say is you're never allowed to say, ah, I should have done the other thing. He's like, no, no, no. You don't know that. You could have lost twice as much money. You could have been dead. Anything could have happened if you went down that other path, but you don't know. You chose what you chose based off the facts that you had in front of you. And the whole idea is that, okay, now get up, move forward, don't look back, adapt. And can you so, just briefly, can you, can, I want you to just expand on that right now because there's someone listening to this and the truth is more than likely they, they've known for a long time there's a decision they need to make, whether it's about a brand new job or leaving a job or starting a new company. Maybe it's about getting a new home and no longer having roommates. Maybe it's moving to a new city. Maybe it's a challenge or a tough conversation they need to have with their boss or, or a spouse or partner or something like that. And when I hear you say, you know, make the decision, the right decision, people, I can feel people probably tense up about that. Can, can you dig in more about making the decision, the decision and but what's important when I, when I hear you say that is something that's a consistency in your work and, and the courses that you've offered and your other books is talking so much about accountability when in society, of course, we spend so much time pointing outward versus pointing the finger at ourselves. So make the decision, decision and accountability. You know, can you dig in on that deeper? Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of pressure for everyone to quote unquote, figure it out, right? Whether it's your career path, where do you want to be? Where do you want to go? And where do you want to set your, your future goals on? And, you know, I had this statement once that said, you know, in five years, you'll be wrong. And instead of where do you want to be in five years? No one has a clue. I, I have no idea. When I look back five years and look forward, I would have never thought I'd be where I am each five year interval. And I think where, where that can be 
paralyzing, it's also liberating to know that it really doesn't matter what you choose as long as you do it with some conviction. You, you, right? you set sail from a beach and you aim for something over the horizon, but once you get over the horizon, there might be an island in your way or an iceberg or something. You have to change direction. You can't say, but I, but I wanted to go straight. Well, yeah, from the vantage point you were at, you wanted to go straight. But I think we, you know, we've been able to predict the tides and the seasons and the crops. And so we think we can predict our own lives, but we forget that, you know, we are just one small player in this great big world. And there are a lot of things out of our control. And so um, we don't always get to pick, you know, in a vacuum, what's going to happen to us. So I think that kind of thinking has allowed me to be much more malleable and adaptable. And I feel like a chameleon at times because yes, I, you know, you still have to paddle in some direction, but when the winds change or an impediment comes, well, I'm much more comfortable being able to go, okay, I guess I should go this way now. And so I think, you know, a lot of people who say they want to be this one thing, or I want to own my own company, I want to be CEO, or I want to be X. Well, that's what you want to be right now. Um, And you might molt your skin in a few years and realize that, oh, actually, based off of the things I learned, I now want to do something different. And I think some people think that's failing um, when I think it's just kind of living. Yeah, and right now, everyone that's listening, I invite you to read all of Bassam's books. I have to say the book, In Five Years, You'll Be Wrong, which I got to say, I helped you come up with that title, is, um, that's true. An, ama- <laughs> is an amazing read. And for all, all the listeners right now, I want you to think back to where you were five years ago. Think back to where you were five years ago and put yourself back in that space and ask yourself, did you think you would be where you are today? And if you say, absolutely, you're lying. And I'm going to come through this, 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 these speakers and find you because odds are you're not where you thought you would be. Maybe you're somewhere better. Maybe you're somewhere worse. Who knows? But odds are you're not there. So I can see Basam as you're, as you're talking that the challenge when we do some of these exercises of like, do the five-year visioning. Sometimes I'm like, ah, okay. And maybe you're just creating your North Star. But, but let's dig in a little bit further on something that you that you said and i think the, the listeners will appreciate this you mentioned about making the decision with conviction is it possible can you break down a bit the dis, the difference between making a decision with conviction versus making a passive decision because i think there are a lot of people who have made decisions they've kind of opened the door um but there is more of a passive approach versus one of conviction yeah so i think there are times in life where even if the decision is quote unquote made for us so let's say if i chose the job at ubs and i didn't really want it but i still ended up doing it i still would have to show up with conviction in the sense of if i showed up as a victim and kind of felt sorry for myself while I was there, then that would just put me in a negative space. So it's the still idea of you still own your reality and you still own how you show up. So I think, I can't remember when we we had that conversation, but there was something that I was in a particular situation and I was kind of feeling that like, ah, I don't want to do it. You know, I'm, I'm feeling like it's not feeling right anymore. I was feeling those those jitters, maybe those those that five-year mark. And you challenged me one day to say, Basam, just show up and do good work and see what happens. And that's even, so even if you're in a passive situation, the idea of showing up with conviction and being accountable for how you show up uh, and how you interact with the world, that's still always on you. So while someone might say, I just want to be a rock star, or I want to I own my own company and I'm not going to be happy until that day. Well, it doesn't matter what you want. It matters what's available. And so mm. if what's available today isn't that, if you kick and scream and act like a victim, you're probably not going to have too many allies and you're not going to move forward in some way. You're not going to learn something. So 
And even if you got the exact thing that you wanted today, well, again, in five years, you're going to want something else. So there's no, there is no there. There is no one thing you're going to kind of always want. So I think conviction in, in my book is being accountable for, for where you're at or for at least how you approach situations and how you show up. I definitely appreciate that. I want to unpack that further. But before I unpack that further, you mentioned something about that gentleman at UPS helping you make that decision that, that, that ended up with you finding your way from Southern California eventually to New York. And you said something to the extent of it allowed you to, you know, live your own narrative and, you know, trust yourself and again, give yourself some type of permission. So when it comes to living your own narrative, you were, you were 27 at the time. So you weren't a kid, you were, you were an adult. And the challenge a lot of people have when it comes to living their own narrative, of course, is the influence of friends. Of course, is the influence of parents, those people that love us, those people that care about us, but they're not living our lives. So as you've navigated, not just that decision to leave Southern California to pursue something different and you find your way to New York, et cetera, did you find yourself fighting against what you perceived were the expectations of others or friends or family members that are going to say, oh my God, Bassam has lost it. What happened to him? Here's a guy who, who has a, an engineering degree and used to work on a nuclear reactor in Hawaii. What happened? Yeah, I, I, completely. I think even to this day, to, to this day, <laughs> I still, there's still that, that kind of, you know, as Ramit Sethi calls the hidden scripts of our lives, you know, the things that kind of, that kind of run us even when we're not looking, um, you know, your family and your loved ones are in the business of keeping you, you, because that's who they know. It's easier for them to describe. It's easier for them to say, I know who you are. I know what you want, right? It gives them that power in that moment. Because if, if all of a sudden you tell them you changed and your values have changed or things are new, they they have to now learn a new you. While they certainly want the best for you, if you're if you're doing drugs and you're truly harming yourself, then yes, your, your family and loved ones are going to want you to change. But I think you know, no one wants to worry about somebody else. You don't want to worry if somebody's going to be able to to take care of themselves. So I think, yeah, I grew up more in an old school kind of environment where it's, you know, get your degree, get a good job and so on and so forth. And I kind of had a little bit more ants in my pants. And so there is still always that, whether it's success or what do my parents think or, or what do my friends think? And sometimes I, I've, I've told you, it's kind of like, am I living my life or am I living the avatar that I've created for myself or the, or the previous avatar that somebody might've known when I lived in New York or Southern California. And, and so, so sometimes it's hard, you know, you go back and see old friends, high school friends or college friends, and all of a sudden you might act a little different around them because you need to fit into that avatar that they know best uh, because it's easier. So don't know if that fully answered the, uh, it totally answered the question, but I think what you're hitting on and which is one of the hardest things for all of us human beings to, uh, Except is that when we make decisions that our family and friends won't always understand and our family and friends definitely won't always agree. Like you said, they have a vested interest in you staying you. And, you know, sometimes it can definitely scare people when we grow, when we spread our rings, when we start to cast a, a wider net than we had previously. It's in most of the time, I'm not going to go down this road too far, but most of the time, sometimes it, it scares people because they feel like they're being left behind. Mm. This guy that I used to know, this guy that I, I knew in this box, this avatar, as you beautifully described, all of a sudden this dude's evolving. He's changing. Now, what does that mean for me? And so I think for listeners, I just hope for folks listening, when people give you resistance about positive changes you are making, first expect the resistance, but know that sometimes it's not about you. Mm. It's about them. Most of the time it's about them. I remember a moment, I think when our friendship kind of solidified, we we're in that bar in Brooklyn and 
and Tony was there with some of his college friends and I showed up and I said, oh, what do you got going on today? He's like, oh, I'm going to finish this drink. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on whatever you're working on, business uh, proposal or something like that. And then all of a sudden, one of your friends said, Tony, you want another drink? And you said, yeah, all right, I'll do another round. And I said, what are you doing? I said, are they going to write that blog post? Are they going to write that, that whatever you were working on? I said, no, that's on you. And so I know in that moment, it was easier to say yes, because that's how they knew that Antonio. So it's hard sometimes changing direction. That was a pivotal moment in my life. Like literally you giving me permission because we all been in that situation. We're out and about. We're having a good time. And someone says, come on, stay for one more, stay for 10 more minutes. Yeah, we have something planned, something on our schedule that we cave in, that we pass up. We only, we're the ones that end up regretting it, not the other people. And it makes them feel good. So I, I have much love. And I think about that moment all the time and even share that story on stages sometimes. And I call people thieves mm. who do that. Stay for one more drink. Thief. Mm. Quit trying, you know, but, but, it, <laughs> but it's on us. Cause beside your friend's not always going to be there. Nine times out of 10, he or she will not be there to say, Hey, don't worry about them. Go handle what you got to handle. Um, Let's, let's go here. You mentioned also with, with this, this, this best thing that happened, you know, losing this job, financial crisis, all of a sudden this guy says, nah, Bassam, I don't think uh, you want this gig and you end up finding your way to New York City. And you talked about along this journey you've been on how important it is to be malleable and how important it is to be adaptable. Uh, how much has that played a role in your life? Um, and I know it's played a major role, but is that something that's been innate from your upbringing and your experiences? Or would you say, of course, there's a guy that's been to over 70 countries, has travel played a major role in you being able to adjust to what a company is doing, to what the economy is doing, to what crazy man on the subway is doing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's a good point. I would say that my parents, if I were to look back at it, you know, because I grew up, I feel like I grew up in a loving home and my parents gave me that permission to be vulnerable and to go explore um, both myself and the world and to have that support. And so, I don't know, was it innate? Was I always someone who, who wanted to explore? Maybe. Um, I do come from an international family, so there might have been something inside of me. So, you know, I, I was theorizing the other day, literally yesterday, this idea that, you know, discomfort leads to growth growth then leads to stagnation and then stagnation leads to discomfort and we got to keep that cycle going. And so for myself, instead of stagnation, a lot of times my travels is that forced kind of grit, that kind of planned grit where I say, all right, I'm going to throw myself in a new situation. Maybe it's for the story, right? Maybe I can't wait to tell my friends a story. Typically, when you can't wait to tell your friends a story, it's because something crazy happened, something new happened, a new experience, a new something, and you want and you grew, or you or you uh, learned a new a new way to see the world. So certainly, travel both in foreign countries and different cultures and customs, and and learning how to fit in there and to listen and to empathize. I think has allowed me to, yes, figure myself out in the business world. Um, you know, a lot of times is, you know, what is this person's point of view? You know, what, what do they value? What, what do they, um, what are their goals? And I think understanding that. So yes, I think travel and, and, and leaving my comfort zone, because when you leave your comfort zone, you have to then listen, right? Because you can't lean on the things you always knew and your couch or your friends and, and be the unengaged you in those moments. When you're in the middle of Turkmenistan or, or Borneo, no, you you know your head's on a swivel and um, you're making new decisions constantly. Am I hearing you say it's no longer about you; it's about others, and even that that shift in energy changes something? Yeah, absolutely. Um, because I mean, you're out of your own head, right? I mean, the the whole world you live in and how important you are. You go to another city, you're like, oh my god, like 
I've never been to the city and look at all these people here. They've just been living here for their lives and hundreds or thousands of years without knowing me or knowing I existed. I didn't know they existed, but yet, you know, here I am, I have to interact. And so it's also a very beautiful moment when you, I mean, I, I, I remember one specific time being uh, in Madrid at the airport and waiting for my bags to come out. And I kind of looked around and I go, man, look at all these people. But if I disappeared from this moment, no one would skip a beat no, no one would know. No one would care. And while terrifying, it also empowered me to say, hola, como estas to somebody and stop them and have them respond. It was like, oh my God, I can matter in a moment. Um, so it's that kind of that, that, that visceral moment where I don't matter and yet I can matter. Um, that's the fun part of travel. That's powerful. I don't matter, but I can matter. And that's a choice that we make every single day to our willingness to get uncomfortable to, to stretch ourselves, which is huge because I got news for everyone on here. Odds are no one wakes up and says, let me go straight to their straight to your Instagram page or straight to your Twitter page. No, no one's thinking about you. However, you can do things to, to can matter and how you can reach out in a real, a real mode, calling someone, testing someone, et cetera. I, I love that. I don't matter, but I can matter. Yeah. And, and I don't let know. To, it, uh, sorry, I just want to add to that. It's, you know, don't change the world, change the moment, right? Close the loop on your accountability. Finish that eye, eye contact. Finish that handshake. Like just engage with the person in front of you and good things happen in life. In a day and age, man, when the moment is just, it seems so fleeting. And I, I, I go to Twitter and I go to Instagram. And of course, we see people allegedly trying to uh, to change the world with, with tweets and posts and, and hashtags and, and badges over photos. And I think we have lost the moment. Can, can you talk more about that? The difference between changing the world in the moment? Because one thing I do know about you, man, is that you are always present. You're always on time. You're always present there's a there's a discipline about you that that's like old worldly in, in such a positive way so for those folks that are like what does this dude mean by change the moment what would you say one particular story um i was i don't know maybe 11 or 12 and uh, my mom was an oncology nurse and i got dropped off at the hospital I'd, and for whatever reason i was waiting for my mom to finish and we we were trying to leave and i was just tired i wanted to go home and my mom leaves and she was talking to the janitor for a while you know, they chat and I'm like pulling on my mom's like, mom, come on. And then finally we leave. And I said something like, mom, why are you talking to the janitor? Like, who cares? And she, my God, stop, pulled me around, put her figure in my face and said, Bassam, first of all, he's a human being. That's why I was talking to him. Second of all, he's a janitor. If he doesn't do his job, the hospital can't work as if a surgeon wasn't doing his job if there's stuff all over the floor. So he matters just as much as a surgeon. And so, you know, she used to tell me, you know, your smile, you, you never know when your smile might save someone's life. Like, what does it cost you to give a compliment? Nothing. But that feeling in that moment, that one little thing you say to somebody, just like that man at UBS told me, I just don't think you want to do this. He didn't have to say that. He could have said, all right, man, this guy's in, he passed the test, he's in. So I think we get caught up with the Bill Gateses and the, and the, Warren Buffett's and we think, oh my God, I gotta, I gotta eradicate, you know, malaria. I mean, I, I'm nobody yet. And it's like, just focus on your sphere of influence, right? I mean, Bill Gates didn't start with a sphere of influence, you know, of billions. He was a kid just like everybody else. He liked computers, et cetera, et cetera. And so if your sphere of influence is 50 people, well, find a way to change those 50. And if it's 500, great. But I think the idea that your 50 has less value than somebody else's 5 billion is where we get caught with this well, why should I do anything, right? And so for me, yeah, I think things like showing up on time is important. Um, I remember a boss, my boss, used to tell, he told me his first day of work when he was like 15 on a construction site, he was supposed to be there at seven. He showed up at 7.05. His boss was like, lost his mind. And John said, 
what's the big deal? I'm only five minutes late. And the guy said, what if I hung you by your neck for five minutes? Would that be a long time? <laughs> and one of, those, one of those moments where you're like, don't disrespect somebody's time. Um, because again, that's a human being and they, and they have, and they have, they have places to be. So again, it's, it's all in that vein of showing up, you know, focusing on what's in front of you, right? If all we're focused on are the, the board in the Sudan, which is obviously a horrendous situation or Yemen, right? It's almost impossible to, to externalize your care. We can see the world and yet it's so hard for us to affect it. But it's like, what about the homeless person you kind of get weird about when you drive by and you don't want to look at them because it's uncomfortable, you know, maybe smile, maybe say hello, maybe just give two random people a compliment in your day. I know it might not feel a lot. It might not feel like a lot, but you never know that what, what that little ripple of change can do. Those things are absolutely huge, man, when it comes to focusing on your sphere of influence, especially with, you know, elections and and the elections in the United States. And we're we're so focused on national things, which are indeed important. And if you query anyone about what's happening, sometimes locally in their community, on the school board level, on the uh, congressmen, state representatives, et cetera, folks don't know what's going on. Yet we have we're, we're so caught up in this big other fight when those things that are around us that we have the direct opportunity to influence, we're ignoring and just briefly, man, on the point of respect people's time, for all my friends out there who are listening to this, who send me a text message six minutes before we're supposed to meet and say we're running late, not cool. Because you can send that 20 minutes or 30 minutes earlier. You knew six minutes before, way before you texted me that you were going to be late. And you, you get that text message every now and then, don't you? Like three minutes before you're supposed to meet. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's like, and, and yes, <laughs> am, am I late sometimes? Sure. But it's, but it's like, own up when you know you're going to be late as early as possible and let them know not traffic it wasn't traffic it wasn't the subway it's no 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 it, it wasn't the it wasn't the subway that showed up late you left late right the subway came when it came so i, I also heard a great statement he's like you're either early or you're late there's no such thing on as on time if you're on time you're late so I love that. You also told me a long time ago when people, I don't know how I got on, I'm stuck on this whole time thing now, but you told me a long time ago when someone says, oh, I'm stuck in traffic. It's like, no, you're not. You are traffic. You are it's traffic. That's it's amazing right. how, how we separate ourselves from situations. Nah, son, you are traffic. Yeah. Let's dig into a couple more things. And mm-hmm. I've loved this conversation thoroughly. You mentioned something that I, that I can't pass over that I think our listeners would, would love to hear more about. You mentioned the notions, notion of having planned grit, planned grit. What does planned grit look like for you? Because a lot of people will look at you and they'll think you're, you're a white collar guy that, that works as, has worked in the multi multi-million dollar construction companies in the consulting industry for like um, fortune, like 50 companies, et cetera. But what does planned grit look like for you? Well, I think again, being fortunate, you know, uh, call a spade a spade. I'm white. I grew up in, in the Northeast uh, America. I'm college educated. And so I can live as pampered of a life as I want to, right? I can hunt for convenience and comfort at all costs and live my life in that bubble. And I think for me, growth, again, as I as I alluded to before, I think growth comes on the back of discomfort, right? I, I think it's just very difficult to continue to push yourself and to grow um, unless there is some sort of discomfort. So for me, I found a lot of joy in the grit of travel, the logistics of travel. And, and I think, you know, I used to tell people, it's like, there's a difference between vacation and travel. And there's a difference between travel and transit, right? And all those things are part of it. Transit sucks. Travel can be fun. Mm. Uh, but a lot of times, like getting to Borneo, getting to the jungles, getting to Kilimanjaro, all those things, it takes 
you're investing your time, you're investing your energy, you're investing your money, you got to get shots, there's time differences, there's sweaty airports, there's 12 hour delays, there's, you know, all those things that get you to a place. But for me, you know, whether it was mountains or something like the Mongol rally or whatever it was, there was, there's always this thing of, I want to see what I'm made of. Um, and so that plan grit, um, again, for me, I think the analogy is easy for people to understand, you know, just the mountaintop of, you know, can I get there and, and being cut off of your phone and friends and loved ones and your comforts and knowing that you had to do a lot of work just to get there, just to get to the trailhead. Um, and so I think each of us injecting our own doses of plan grit, and you don't have to go to Kilimanjaro to do that. Um, you know, some people, whether it's physical, they do tough mutters or they do triathlons or, or whatever it is, but like, how can you purposefully give yourself doses of discomfort without having stagnation be the thing that gives you that. And so for me, I'm always sprinkling in my planned grit. When I finish a trip, kind of always have another one, no matter how big or small on the horizon somewhere uh, ready to test me. Yeah, I love it. I love it. The, the language you use. I want to see what I'm made of. And, and you're spot on when it comes to the difference between travel and vacation and transit, et cetera. You know, as the father of toddler twins, if I, at first I thought we were going on vacation and I learned quickly that we go on trips. <laughs> it's, they go on, they, our kids go on vacation. We go on a trip. Right. It's, it's a big difference right there. Yeah. Um, you know, my last question for you, Bassam, as you look back at that, that 27-year-old kid, and I'm going to call him a kid who, mm-hmm. who experienced that big decision when that guy sat across from you and, you know, human to human, man to man, looked you in the eye and said, I don't think you want to do this. Odds are, who do you think you would be today? Would you have somehow found your way to where you are today if he would have offered you that job? I'd like to say yes, because I think, you know, go back to what my father said, you have to make every decision the right decision, right? Based off the facts you have at the time, you made the best call. I think I've always had this ability to kind of not bury me. Uh, I can hide me and what I'm putting me in quotes, meaning, yes, yeah, sometimes you got to bite your tongue. You got to take a gig or a project or a job. You might not, it might not be the thing you love, but it's like, hey, sometimes you got to figure it out. And I would kind of always work on me on the side, whatever projects or business or books I was writing on the side. So I'd like to say yes, right? I don't think that there's one path for anyone. I think there's a zillion paths and I think it's how we show up, whether it's mortgage banking or medical device sales or entrepreneurship or construction or whatever it is. Because if I said I would be somebody different, then I would be alluding to something like fate and I was meant to do X, Y, Z. I don't know. I don't think anybody's meant to do anything. I think we have to make choices. And so had I done that job at UBS, hopefully I would have shown up. But yes, I have quit jobs before and I realized, you know what? This isn't what I want to do. So maybe it would have set me back a year or two years, or maybe I would have found out I loved it. Who knows? But I think in that moment, I would have been accepting the job for the wrong reasons. And that man was kind enough to illuminate that fact to yours truly. Oh, I want to give that guy a big hug and a big round of applause. I mean, there's a side of me that side of me that knows that probably New York City was in your future, though now, of course, you reside in the Pacific Northwest, but I believe that you would have found your way to New York. That was inside of you. And for all of you listening to this right now, you may be in a similar situation. And, and maybe, unfortunately, you don't have that person in front of you uh, telling you, um, I don't think you want to do this. And if you don't have that person, know that 
you can have the confidence. You can have the wherewithal to make that decision for yourself. Basam will tell you, and I'm not going to tell you that um, it's not going maybe going to be an easy decision, but you can make the decision. I- I'll leave you with this. And, you know, I think a lot of folks will tell you it's never too late. And I do believe that as, as a guy that talks on stages all across the country, I do believe that it's never too late. And there's a big caveat that comes with that. It's never too late. And the longer you wait, the harder it gets. So if there's something you need to act on right now, act. If you need to be that person for another person to say, I don't think you want to do this, be that person. Know that they may not like it and punch you in the face, but still be that person. Basama, I can't thank you enough for for making time. Of course, I'm going to have you on again because we only touched a a small fraction of the so many different topics we can talk about. I just for for our folks who are listening right now, where can folks find you and uh, and learn more? Um, Easiest place to find me is at Basam.com. It's kind of helpful when you have a unique name. You can get your own first name.com, B-A-S-S-A-M.com. That's the easiest place uh, to find me. You'll see all kind of books and links and, and all that. Otherwise, you'll probably find me in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> well, yo, homeboy, thank you again, man. I love this conversation. I learned some new things about you and uh, we'll do this again real soon. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, sir, for having me on and uh, for everybody listening, you know, keep living that intentional life. Thanks for listening to the Best Thing Podcast with Antonio Neves. Join us next week for more stories that'll help you see the world through a new lens. For more resources, go to theantonioneves.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, we ask that you share with a friend and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.